This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. We've got a friend of the show, as we like to say. Uh, you know him as the uh, number one New York Times bestselling author of A Dog's Purpose, A Dog's Journey, Dog Way Home, Dog's Promise. And we're going to talk to him about his latest, greatest in the Puppy Tail series. So we're going to be excited about that. We've got, of course, uh, W. Bruce Cameron coming on with us today. So we're going to catch up with Bruce, find out the latest in uh, his latest book, and uh, also talk to him a little bit about you know what's going on. I know he's always got something happening. So it's going to be fun and exciting and always great to talk to Bruce. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Join us now is our good friend, Bruce Cameron. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, Tim. It's always a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's fantastic. I always love talking to you, and obviously uh, I love keeping track of everything that's going on. And I I realized I I was flipping through everything and thought, A, I haven't talked to my buddy Bruce for a while, and B, I don't think we've ever really gone into a lot of detail, though we've highlighted, but a lot of detail about this uh, whole Puppy Tales series for young readers that you have. Yeah. Yeah, the latest is uh, Lacey Story, a very special dog and her very important purpose. It's part of that Puppy Tales series. So tell us a little bit about Lacey Story, and then tell Tell us about the, the series in general and how, uh, how that all started and what that's all about. Yeah, it was a real joy to write Lacey's story. Lacey's story, which just came out recently, is the story of a puppy who is basically just a girl's dog. Wenling is Lacey's person, and the two of them live in rural Michigan where her father works on a farm and her mother works as best she can in retail. It's a depressed area. And uh, Wenling is a high school student. And she, in adopting this puppy, she's got a wild one on her hands. Lacey is just full of fun, full of life, just wants to play all the time. And she's a little bit of a runner. And anybody, any of your listeners who have ever had experience with a dog jumping the fence or sneaking out when that gate is open or darting out that front door, you know that some dogs just like to put some miles under their pads and they're going to kind of do that regardless of uh, what we want. So that's Lacey. And Lacey is out and about. She has managed to get through a gate that was left open and Lacey is hit by a car. She doesn't understand cars and she's hit by one. And as a result of the accident, she winds up with her legs are paralyzed. Her rear legs are paralyzed. She can only move her front legs. And the first question for everybody is, well, can Lacey have any sort of life when she's paralyzed? And it just so happens that Wenling's best friend is a boy named Burke. And Burke 
is in a wheelchair. Uh, he's not able to move his legs either. And it, it sets up for us a real interesting way of looking at the world where we might consider we might consider putting down a dog who can't move her back legs, but we're certainly not going to make the same decision for a boy. And what was the solution for the boy? Well, he's got his own wheelchair. So what's the solution for Lacey? Well, let's build her a cart. And they take one of Burke's old wheelchairs for when he was a little boy, and they build her a cart and an apparatus. And now they have to teach this rambunctious dog to think in terms of going in a straight line instead of racing all over the place as she's always done. There's a lot more to it. But what I really enjoy about Lacey's story is that this dog's overcoming of adversity is done so in a manner that is so like a dog. Lacey just wakes up from anesthesia and thinks, oh, my back legs are being silly. She doesn't bemoan or mourn the fact that she has lost her ability to run on four legs. She just accepts it because that's what dogs do. And we learn a lot, I think, about acceptance and having a good attitude when we see how Lacey tackles the world. She seems to just always have a smile on her face if dogs had visible smiles. And of course, some dogs do. But it's I, I should mention that it's a companion piece because there's, a, there's another puppy tale called Cooper's Story. And Cooper tells the story of Burke, the boy in the wheelchair, and his dog, Cooper, who has to learn to become a working dog, a wheelchair assistance dog for Burke. And Burke and Winling are best friends. So they're companion pieces. You don't have to read one to read the other. But it was a real joy for me to bring back Cooper and Burke and, and show them as being support characters for Wenling and for Lacey. And these are just two of my many puppy tales. They are books that tell the story of an individual puppy growing to be a dog and discovering a purpose in life. The very first one was Ellie's story, which was based on the, on the story of Ellie, who your readers and listeners will recognize as being the dog and a dog's purpose, the police dog. That dog was named Ellie. And Ellie's story is so interesting. And I wrote Ellie's story because when we were writing the screenplay for A Dog's Purpose, which was a great experience, but the thing about writing a screenplay is it's mostly about what you cut. And that's what this was. It was cut, cut, cut. And in the process of cutting all these, these things, I felt like we lost a lot. And one thing we really lost was the story of this police dog, because that's a big part of a dog's purpose. But in the movie, I think it's like two minutes of film. So I said, I, I've got to put this out there. And you know, the only way to put it out there was, I can't rewrite a dog's purpose, but I can make Ellie accessible, especially to younger readers, if I pull her story out and just tell that story. And that book was a huge hit for me. And it won some awards. It won the Colorado Children's Book Award. And I was astounded. I'd never thought I'd win any awards. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, I was like, well, I must, I must have something here that I didn't know. But what I really didn't know, Tim, is that it's more than just selling books. When I go to speak at schools now, which I do all the time, I'll have teachers and librarians and parents come up to me and say, I've got a reluctant reader won't read, except these puppy tales. They'll read those books because it's about a dog. Because who doesn't like a story that involves a dog? As we were talking about Lacey, dogs are full of joy, kind of no matter what you throw at them. So 
the puppy tales were born and I've been writing one or two of those a year since a dog's purpose. That's amazing. That's amazing. So many things just come to mind because obviously, you know, we've had a chance to chat for quite a number of years, almost going back to the beginning. And I, I think if uh, I, I probably shouldn't quote you on this, but uh, I believe you said at one time you had no idea you'd be the uh, the dog guy, the dog rider guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I always thought that I was going to be writing thrillers, and but I didn't. I wrote humor books. I wrote Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage mm-hmm. Daughter. And that's the one that changed my life because I came out to Hollywood and I started working in, in show business, which is, you know, I kind of wish I'd gone into almost anything else. You know, oil <laughs> change would be a cleaner business, but I went into, I went into Hollywood and show business and I stayed, got to make a couple of movies, which has been fantastic. And A Dog's Purpose put me on the map as a dog book guy. And that's kind of all I've ever done since. I've got, I've got a few books out that are different. My Repo Man series, right. for example, is exactly. about a repo man who solves mysteries. But uh, for the most part, no, it's been it's been dogs. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing, you know, we've talked about it and I hear this quite often, you know, that the dogs are one of those, you know, common denominators. You can be walking down yeah. the street and if there's a dog and you're a dog lover or you have a dog or you used to have a dog, you're immediately in touch with that person. You're already striking up a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I think the downfall is you remember the dog and you remember the dog's name, but you never remember the person that's attached to it. That's, <laughs> that's, <the> pro- right. <laughs> that's, that's right. I was in uh, I was in Holly in a place one time and the woman was there with a, a really cute, I think it was a Pomeranian, maybe maybe even two of them. And I was giving the dogs all the love and I was talking to them. And then finally the woman gathered herself to leave and I glanced up at her and it was Sharon Stone. And I didn't even know it. I, I was playing with her dogs. I was, I was not paying any attention. <laughs> and she probably loved it. You probably, probably loved yeah. the fact, you know, that's, that's the thing. And uh, yeah, I love it. Uh, my mother-in-law just moved into an, uh, an assistant living facility, got her own little apartment and everything. And there's a lady there that has a, a little terrier named Dawn. And every time I see Dawn, I stop and play with Dawn. And uh, being a, a terrible person I am, I have yet to figure out what that lady's name is. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's how it goes. I have, have a sweatshirt that says Tucker is my boss dog because Tucker is my dog and boss dog is a phrase from a dog's purpose and the sequel of dog's journey those two movies and so when i walk down the street people will read my t-shirt and then they'll say is this tucker and so tucker now expects that wherever we go everyone knows him already and so his attitude is he's just constantly wagging when he sees new people and he wants to go up to them and put his paws on their legs and lick their knees and just be really obnoxious because he thinks oh i'm i'm the celebrity that's it. Well, we know that. That is is yeah. true. Uh, you know, you know it, I know it, uh, and the fans <laughs> know it for sure. Tucker's uh, on the jack, and, you know, the, the books, and they're in the movies, and and all the wonderful stuff. So, yeah, he is a, he is a superstar. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk to uh, Bruce Cameron a little bit more about uh, Lacey's story and the whole Puppy Tales series, and then find out more about what's going on. I want to pick his brain a little bit about writing in general. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. 
Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. In your conversation with our good friend and the number one New York Times bestselling author, Bruce Cameron. Bruce, before the break, you were talking about the uh, Puppy Tail series and the companion pieces. I want to go back to uh, talk about Ellie's story. You, you said that uh, when the movie came out, it uh, you know basically got chopped down to uh, little bits, and then uh, certain stories popped out, and Ellie's story in particular was one that needed to be told. As a writer, is it more of um, you see the content sort of just laying there and you feel compelled to tell the story? Or is it more of, I think there's more to tell and we can find a, a way to get this message out uh, in a different format? How does that come about? You know, it's funny. It, writing a screenplay is it's like your house is on fire and you've got to decide what to take. And you're not going to be able to take everything. And you, everything, but you wouldn't have all this stuff in your house if you didn't want to keep it. We generally don't surround ourselves with stuff and say, gee, I hope I hope something happens and I lose all this stuff because I don't want, I don't like it. No, what, what we do instead is when we're writing a screenplay, it's all about what are you going to leave out? So adapting a book is, man, that's really hard because I didn't put anything in the books that I thought, oh, but I could, I could cut this no problem. If I felt that way, I wouldn't, I would have cut it because, you know, there, there's no sense in dragging the reader through some sort of experience where <laughs> they're not interested. So, it, so that's the first part of the question is when you're writing a screenplay, it's all as if you were under pressure and you're trying to figure out what to keep. When I'm writing a book, it's, it's interesting. I'll just give you an example of what just happened to me. So I've, I've got a new series that I'm working on. It will be out sometime next year, around around fall of 2023. And okay. it's about working dogs. It's called Dogs with a Purpose. And it's dogs that very specifically are trained to be either service animals or working dogs. And my first foray into this, <laughs> you know, they need to be there for younger readers. So they need to be around 40,000 words. That's just my what we call my budget. And I know from experience, I've, I've published 33 books now. So I know from experience how long a book grows from a first draft to a second draft. And I came in around 60,000 words on the first draft, which means the final draft was going to be between 80 and 90, which of course is I'm over budget by two. And they're not going to buy two volumes. <laughs> so I had to, I had to really rethink. And it was, it was the first time in my life I've missed a deadline because I kept having to go back to outline, rethink the entire story, take a look at subplots and say, I'm going to have to do away with this character altogether. This subplot therefore goes away. 
and it's still too long. I need, and but in the end, I wouldn't do this deliberately, but in the end, by overwriting the first draft, I had so much to choose from that it became like writing a screenplay. Well, what is it you really, really need to keep? And so I came in at budget and I've got a book that everybody's happy with. So it'll be out. We don't have a title for it yet. It'll be out in a year and it's going to be a brand new series. It's not going to be part of the puppy tales. And so it was a completely different process, but it didn't destroy me because I've been through it writing screenplays. I've written several screenplays. Some of them haven't gotten to the screen. I want to put yet yeah, on that. That's thing. right. Some that's of them right. haven't yet been on the screen, but uh, I've adapted several of my books for uh, studios and said, take a look at this. What do you think? And, and so far, we're still in the thinking stage. But it, it was always the same process. Take just what you need and get rid of the rest. Now, when you say get rid of the rest, does that get rid of the rest truly mean get rid of the rest? Or does that go in the master vault of uh, saying, I need a character? Where can I draw from my uh, wealth of uh, characters that I've written about before? Or do you have so much content you could easily say, if I can't convince these editors to buy two right now, I still have enough material that I can get the uh, the next one out because they're going to love the first one? Well, that's a that's a really intelligent question. And it, and it really goes to the heart of the craft. And uh, I would say it is almost never that I come up with an idea for a book and I have to cut it or choose to cut it for whatever reason. And then it, it winds up you know, worming its way back into a different book. That just never happens. And I I think it's because, uh, you know, it's almost like picking a mate and saying, well, I like these qualities, but not these other ones. It's the whole thing or nothing, right? So, (laughs) uh, So in creating the final product, yes, I had to get rid of things. But in my mind and in my emotional, uh, in my heart, I just feel like they belong together. And it just wouldn't work to take these to chop these sections up and say, I'll use these and something else. And I love the fact that, you know, when I look at all the wonderful stuff you've written, you know, yes, occasionally a character or, you know, will come back into play. But for the most part, though they're all standalone books, you can pick up any of them and just enjoy the heck out of them. But you've also got new characters. And uh, I find for good and bad, no no right or wrong here, but I find a lot of uh, authors will find a series of characters and they continue on with their characters because either A... It's easier, B, they love those characters, or C, their fans are saying, well, wait a minute, you can't kill off, you know, so-and-so. Yeah. Well, there's, there are three books in the A Dog's Purpose series. There's A Dog's Purpose, A Dog's Journey, and then A Dog's Promise. And because it tells the life, the story of a dog who never dies, but keeps being reborn, it is the same dog. But obviously, the people come in and out. And the people that you encounter when you show up for Dog's Promise, book three, they're not in a dog's purpose. They're new. But the dog is the same. It's the same dog. There's another series I've got. It's a two-book series, the A Dog's Way Home, A Dog's Courage series. And that one, it's the same humans. That is the purest sequel I've ever written. A Dog's Way Home tells the story of a, of a dog who is banned because of a pit bull ban from Denver. Said ban, by the way, has been overturned. And she's taken away to you know, somewhere in the Farmington, New Mexico area. 
and decides to make her way back home, a journey of several hundred miles through Rocky Mountain wilderness. And it takes a couple of hundred, a, a couple of years. And it is uh, the basis of the movie of the same name, A Dog's Way Home. A Dog's Courage tells the story, much more compressed timeline of the same dog and the same people trapped in the Rocky Mountains during the middle of a huge fire. So now this poor dog has to contend with not only being separated by the fire, but all the predators that have been displaced, once a fire displaces a territorial animal like a mountain lion or wolves or other animals of tooth and claw, they become very unstable, very dangerous because they're scared. And not only does the dog Shelby have to contend with those, but she winds up, be, I don't think I'm giving too much away here, she winds up having to take care of two mountain lion cubs. Uh, so that two book series will take you back to the same characters. In fact, some of the characters that appear in both the movie and the first book, uh, A Dog's Way Home, show up in A Dog's Courage because I, I liked the humans and I wanted to tell more of their story along with the story of the dog. And my Repo series is, uh, is Repo Man series is Midnight Plan of the Repo Man and Repo Madness is the two book series so far. I'm hoping to write some more of those. So I'm going to answer your question now a little bit by saying you do get really comfortable when you have worked all the way through a book with a character. You understand the character. You can think in the way they think. You can talk the way they talk. And it's not the same as when you sit down with a blank sheet of paper and say, and Say to yourself, okay, who lives in this book and what are they like? And make sure they're different than all your other characters because your readers are going to get turned off if they're like, well, this person is exactly like that person. You know, is this all that Bruce can do? And hopefully the answer is no, I can do other, other characters, <laughs> other humans. Yeah, and that's a fascinating thing I always find about your work and just uh, the writing craft as a whole. You know, when you're when you're writing uh, novels in particular, uh, whether it's for the uh, young adults or for uh, you know just a, a normal uh, book, a normal book. I don't know what that means, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you take a look at it, you you've got a, a mainstream bunch of characters that possibly you like, and you have something more to say. Maybe they'll appear in the second book, but not the third. Whether it's a, a dog or whether it's a you know a particular uh, human or set of humans, but then all these other things, all these other ideas come to mind. And so, how do you sort through? Okay, where is it going to be based out of? Is you know why do I choose Michigan in this particular story? Is it because you have ties to Michigan, or is the fact that that just seemed like a good place, or you threw a dart at the map? You know, uh, how do you come up with these names of people? Is it just in the middle of the night, you wake up, sit up in the middle of the bed and <laughs> come up with the name of the person? Right. Or is this something that you thought, oh, I heard that. That's a cool name. I'm going to put that in the pot. I mean, how do you sort through that? Because in my mind's eye, it's like, uh, you know, especially if I'm, I'm doing a, a series of books, these things keep popping in mind. And you also have to, like you said, sort through it a little bit. And the fact that, uh, you know, will, will the reader like this, you know? and Yeah. And, and I noticed there's an, I've, I'm a schnauzer guy. I haven't seen a schnauzer on one of these books yet. So what's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I like the way that the question ended because that's where my problem uh, as an author starts is that I can make human beings very different very easily. I can give you a paranoid kleptomaniac and have that person be you know at the center of the book. But when it comes to dogs, because dogs are so different than people, the subtleties of a dog's personality differences from other dogs is not always apparent. 
And it's further influenced by the breed because unlike human beings who we've evolved in very many different ways, but basically you could have a paranoid kleptomaniac who could be of, of any background. But you know, you've got a beagle as opposed to a Labrador, as opposed to a dachshund. They're very much influenced. Their personalities are very much influenced by the kind of dog they were bred to be. So when I'm sitting down to write the character of a dog, I start with a real basic problem, which is as far as we humans are concerned, dogs are kind of all the same. Once we get to know a dog, when we adopt a dog, we can say, oh, well, that, you know, remember Pebbles? Pebbles was so different than Snickers. And I'd be like, well, then why don't you name them something better? But that's a different story. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's, that's the first part of it. The second part of it is I do construct my human characters just the way I described it to you. I start with these really basic quirky oddities like a person who is a kleptomaniac and also deeply paranoid. What would that person look like? You know, in Lacey's story, Wenling's father is an immigrant and he wants his daughter to become a lawyer or a doctor. He doesn't want her to work with her hands the way he does. He has seen how hard it is. And yet Wenling has a love of the soil. She loves to plant things. And her impulse when she needs to raise money is to grow crops in the hothouse. And because they're in Michigan, where the growing season is so short, it really is impractical to grow plants yourself, like tomatoes, from seeds. You'll just get these lumpy, uh, green, hard rock tomatoes by the time you get to your first freeze. But for Wenling, for her to grow these nice tall seedlings, that gives everybody that she delivers them to a jump. And so it's a really viable product for her. It's a great way to make some extra money, but it's farming. Her dad doesn't approve. But over time, what you see is his love for Wenling really is more important than his desire to see her become something that he's not. And yet, uh, Wendling is really smart. And her ideas on improving the farm operation are really at the core of the human drama of this, of Lacey's story, because it's, it's just, it's always about Wendling coming up with an answer to the problem. And the problem is that the farm is getting ready to fail. And that will destroy her way of life. All of her friends are there. She's lived there her whole life. She doesn't want to move to the city. She wants to stay out there in the rural area where she's always lived. And so it's up to her to come up with a solution, which she does very cleverly. I don't mind telling people that because this is all about triumph. This is the triumph of a dog who can't move her rear legs, winding up nonetheless, enjoying life and being faithful to her person. It's the triumph of a girl who is told we need to put the dog down because she's lost her rear legs, who says, no, look, she still loves life. You can't put down a dog just because we would be miserable because the dog's not miserable. The dog doesn't even really understand what happened, but it's willing to go along with it. So I, I really feel like this is my most triumphant of all my books. And it focuses very much on a girl and her dog, which I love telling because boy and his dog is such a convention in literature. 
Right. I love you mentioned that. That's very, very true. And also when you're talking about dogs, inevitably people call dogs boys and cats girls. I yet to figure that out. I've, I've got yeah. a little white schnauzer with a pink, pink, bright pink collar. And uh, Dusty gets called he all the time, I should say. It's like, okay, well, yeah, yeah. D- it is yeah. Dusty and it's a girl. So. <laughs> <laughs> Retracting back when you mentioned that this has led to great success, great writing and another series and uh, way past the book, you know, the book sales in general and, and everything that goes along with it. The fact that now you can get your message out to the youth, you go to uh, the uh, school projects, you get students who are not interested or inclined to read. Now, all of a sudden they're reading. What's the thoughts? Have you ever had uh, anyone come up to you after reading a story like this with all these little messages that you can do anything? And if you have a disability, you can still have fun. And if yeah. you, um, you know, you can still be smart and still be a farmer or a gardener or, or something of this sort. Do you ever get those messages handed down to you? Yes. The, the, especially, I mean, the, the nature of librarians in general in our country has evolved. And, you know, when I was in school, a librarian was a mean person who held up a finger every time you talk. And you just had to learn, like, when you go to the library, it's like being in prison. But it's completely changed now. The librarians, uh, and very often they're called media specialists, are charged with teaching children about these, these fundamental aspects of education called reading, and they're charged with teaching children to love books. And yes, uh, winnowing out these positive messages about my books and presenting them to the children is really what teachers and librarians and media specialists are doing now with the puppy tales. And I'll go so far as to say there's another series called Lily to the Rescue. It's about a dog named Lily. And Lily lives at a rescue and helps rescue baby animals. It's intended for even younger readers, they're called chapter books, and it means you evolve from reading books where there's a picture on every page to reading books where there's a picture every couple of pages. And there are chapters, and they're very short. Lily to the Rescue's tales are very short, but Lily rescues a, you know, baby pigs and a baby donkey and a baby deer and uh, groundhogs and all kinds of stuff. And it's just a real fun series. And that's intended for the real little children who are just getting into reading. And again, it's got a cute puppy. It's got cute baby animals. It's got, there are cute stories, less of a message. Uh, I don't pound you with a message on these, I guess I would say. But what I do is present you with a third grade girl named Maggie Rose and her brothers and their dynamic and a father who's a game warden and a mother who is a who runs an animal rescue and is also a, an exotic animal veterinarian, which you can see means that she is called all the time to help fix medical problems of animals that are very exotic and, and not found in the norm. And this is set in... Colorado. So it's right there on the Golden Colorado, right there where the uh, the plains of Kansas and Denver become the mountains of Colorado. It's at, right there at, that, at the foothills. So they have a little bit of every animal you can imagine. They've got the coyotes, they've got the city dogs, they've got the working farm dogs, they've got everybody. So that is another series that I launched that has been so much fun for me because I get to go and meet these little kids, like really little kids, clutching their books and telling me, basically, they want to tell me the story of the book that he's read. So I said, I don't say, yeah, I wrote it. So I know what happened. I'm like, oh, tell me more. What happened then? You know, because they love it. They just love it. 
That's fantastic. So that just leaves me more and more questions. Always got questions for you here. Okay. But the series. Okay. So we've already talked about four or five, maybe six series <laughs> going on. And even the ones that, that like the Repo Man that I thought, okay, well, that one's yeah. done. And now I'm hearing, well, wait a minute. Repo Man has more, more repoing to do. Uh, how do you determine when a series is done or does it just sort of, do you keep all of them juggling around? And if you do keep them juggling around, do you say, okay, uh, you know, uh, Mondays I'm doing my Lily work and then Tuesdays I'm doing my, uh, my work for the puppy tail series and Wednesdays I'm doing, you know, how do, how in the world do you keep all that other than editor saying, okay, Bruce, Hey, it's, you know, it's September. And by the way, you need something in our hands by October. Uh, how, how, does that, <laughs> how does that all transpire? How do you sort of decide when is something sort of done and dusted or at least put on the, the back burner? And then how do you decide, how do you juggle all the different series going on? Because I, I think it's important. I, the stuff that you do, you know, you're hitting, in my mind, you're hitting all aspects of the reader and their age groups and, and uh, their reading uh, needs. And so I, I think it's a great way about going to doing it. Well, that's a really interesting question because a lot of it has to do with what the readers respond to. It's funny because I, I wrote two repo books and though there is a dog in it, it's not told from a dog point of view and the dog's life is not independent of the main character who's a repo man named Ruddy McCann. And he's got a dog named Jake, a basset hound, and it's a great character, this basset hound I love. And in the second book, the basset hound saves the day. And yet my biggest fans, they're wanting that next dog book, you know? So they're, they're, they're not like, okay, repo, what? No, what, what? I want a puppy tail. So for a while, it looked like the Midnight Plan of the Repo Man and Repo Madness were going to be the only two books in this series. But then something happened, which is every time I go to a book event, Someone will hold up a hand and say, I'm waiting very impatiently for the next repo book. When are you going to write that? And, wow. you know, the long answer is kind of what I just told you, which is, well, it did, you know, people want my, my dog books. But the short answer is I would write it tomorrow if I thought that my publisher wanted it. And then uh, lately, I've been thinking, you know, I practically have that book outlined in my head, the third book. I just, maybe what I should do, uh, it sounds crazy, but maybe what I should do is just write the thing just because, you know, there's a way in which you just got to get these things out of, out of your highway. You got, right. you got to get them off the road or they block progress because I am um, to answer the second part of your question. I'm sequential. I have a real difficult time writing a book and then putting it aside on Thursday to pick up another book on Friday. That is just really hard for me. Once I'm in the world, once I'm thinking about it, it's all I'm thinking about. When I'm eating lunch, my wife will look at me and say, you're not really here, are you? And I say, oh, yeah. No, I'm really not. I'm really, right now I'm in Kansas City thinking about this book, Love Clancy, that's coming out in January. I'm thinking about those characters. And that's where I am. I am a one foot in front of the other kind of guy, not a tap dancer who can go all over the place. Right. Except for Sundays when the Chiefs are on. I hear that's a whole, <laughs> well, whole, totally different thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, uh, look, I'm a big game. I grew up in Kansas City. So for me, what, having the Chiefs be in contention the past couple of years has been wonderful. But that's not, we don't need to talk about that. Unless you want to. <laughs> I'm sure Catherine would love that if we spent all day talking yeah, about that. Yeah. <laughs> So you, you're not sequential. So you're stuck in that mindset into that world. So you're going to complete that project before you move on to the next one then. That's how I've always operated. And it's, it's worked for me so far. I mean, 
you know, I only published my first book in 2001. So it's only been 20 years and I've got 33 books out. That's not a bad, that's not a bad pace. I feel pretty, pretty good about that. Yeah. Yeah. You should, you should, you should. And I think the repo thing that, that does fascinate me about the repo man, you know, and, and maybe needing to get that out of your system and you know how the market works, you know, how things work. If you write it and you have it available, then sure enough, the next thing you pitch, they may go, uh, I'm not so sure. Do you have any more of that repo thing? And they're like, Oh, <laughs> just so happens. And uh, yeah, exactly. yeah. So you, you never know. You never know. That's good. All right, Bruce. Well, where can uh, people find out more about what's going on, your activities, where you're going to be, you know, find out more about uh, Lacey's story and all the different puppy tail series and all the other books you have going on right now? Lacey's story is for sale wherever they sell my books. In fact, I only have two books that are not currently available and they are humor books. Eight Civil Rules for Marrying My Daughter and, and How to Remodel a Man are two books that have been cut from the catalog. That doesn't mean they're going away. It just means they're going to come back in a different form. But all of my other books are available. Like if you have it in your mind that you'd like to get Ellie's story because we've been talking about it this afternoon, you can just go online and search for Ellie's story and you'll find it. You get a brand new copy and you can find me at brucecameron.com. You can find me on Facebook. I got a big presence on Facebook. And, you know, I do a really poor job of keeping the public informed of where I'm going to be. But I've got, I've hired somebody to, who's supposed to do a better job of that. So, you know, I've got some appearances coming up. I've got, I'm going to be in uh, Detroit in the area at the Plymouth Library. And you, a smarter person would know exactly the date and time, but I've kind of forgotten, but it's in October. I've got some appearances coming up and I will post those at roostcamera.com so that people can find those. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we'll get the message out for you as well. Everybody check out all those sites and uh, yeah, get a chance. Go see Bruce in person and uh, you'll be pleasantly pleased as I was. And obviously uh, the the chats we've had over the years, nobody's better than Bruce Cameron. (laughs) You can send me the check in the mail. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love that. Call my manager. I need you to, I need her to hear that. That's right. That's right. I'll see if I can get an appointment to get to your manager. You know, everybody go out and check out Bruce. If he's in your town, go see him. Pick up a copy of Lacey's Story, A Puppy Tail, a very special dog and her very important purpose. And pick up all the rest of the catalog and the series. Uh, you're going to be entertained all the way through. And uh, and if you don't see your, your favorite puppy in any of the books, let Bruce know. And I'm sure he'll figure out a way to get your puppy in there, too. I guess I got to write one about a schnauzer, don't I? Yeah, you got one. Put the pressure on you. All right, Bruce. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, We'll look forward to chatting with you again uh, somewhere down the road. Always my pleasure, Tim. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, My pleasure. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Thank the uh, producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, or uh, want to entertain anybody you want to hear on the show, drop us a line. You can go to PetLifeRadio.com and send us your questions, comments, and let us know who you want to hear from most. While you're there, check out all the other wonderful shows and hosts. It's a cornucopia of fantastic entertainment. It's at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a uh, book, a blog, a magazine. Just get it out there. and Who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.